The question of how and why the United Nations is the crux of the great conspiracy to destroy the sovereignty of the United States and the enslavement of the American people within a UN one world dictatorship is a complete and unknown mystery to the vast majority of the American people. The reason for this unawareness of the frightening danger to our country and to the entire free world is simple. The masterminds behind this great conspiracy have absolute control of all of our mass communications media, especially television, the radio, the press, and Hollywood. We all know that our State Department, the Pentagon, and the White House have brazenly proclaimed that they have the right and the power to manage the news, to tell us not the truth, but what they want us to believe. They have seized that power on orders from their masters of the great conspiracy. And the objective is to brainwash the people into accepting the phony peace bait to transform the United States into an enslaved unit of the United Nations One World Government. First of all, bear in mind that the so-called UN police action in Korea, fought by the United States, in which 150,000 of our sons were murdered and maimed, was part of the plot, just as the undeclared by Congress war in Vietnam, in which our sons are dying, is part of the plot, just as the plot against Rhodesia and South Africa, in which our sons will be dying, is part of the UN plot. However, the vitally important thing for all Americans all you mothers of the boys who died in Korea and are now dying in Vietnam, to know is that our so-called leaders in Washington, whom we elected to safeguard our nation and our Constitution, are the betrayers, and that behind them are a comparatively small group of men whose sole objective is to enslave the whole world of humanity in their satanic plot of one world government. Now, in order to give you a very clear picture of this satanic plot, I will go back to its beginning, clear back in the middle of the 18th century, and name the men who put that plot into action, and then bring you down to the present, today's status of that plot. Now, as a matter of further intelligence, a term used by the FBI, let me clarify the meaning of the expression he is a liberal. The enemy, meaning the one world conspirators, have seized upon that word liberal as a cover-up for their activities. It sounds so innocent and so humanitarian to be liberal. Well, make sure that the person who calls himself a liberal or is described as a liberal is not in truth a red. Now then, this satanic plot was launched back in the 1760s when it first came into existence under the name of the Illuminati. That was the voice of Myron C. Fagan in 1967, one of the pioneer conspiracy scholars of the 20th century.
who lays bare the operations and the deeds of what he calls the shadow government, who he alleges controls and manipulates the elected government of the USA, as well as all other governments of all other nation states of the world. He also goes into intricate detail to explain the founding of this group. He names the Illuminati, which perhaps is better known stateside as the CFR or Council on Foreign Relations. And the individuals behind these aligned organizations, which include the United Nations, according to Wikipedia, Val Fagan lived from October 31, 1887 to May the 12th. 1972, was an American writer, producer, and director for film and theater, and was a Red Scare figure in the late 1940s and 50s. Fagan is therefore remembered as an ardent anti-communist and influential conspiracy theorist. There we go. Following that triggering knee-jerk reaction, it was not this helpful reference to the term conspiracy theorist, most of us narrowly avoided another pothole rather than explore a warren of rabbit holes. How many of you have already switched off? How many are already thinking about the impossibility of what is being outlined here? Is this theory just too big and outlandish to take seriously? Naturally, context is essential. Firstly, to listen to Sagan's full lecture. The link is available. And then to pursue information from opposing sides. This is one logical way to gain a balanced view. However, that's assuming the information is still available. There is a great deal of censorship going on today, as you know. So what prevents us from believing censorship is a regular instrument used by the victors to hone their history. If you're willing to continue to discern your way through this information, evaluating history on all sides of your comfort zone, then we may deduce that not enough people were ready to hear Fagan's words then. We may even consider, if they had, we may not be living in the current version of reality we are today. We contemplate this point from the advantage position of hindsight of some 54 years. Surely, if there is any truth behind Fagan's words, there should be some form of paper trail, some volumes of information that have perhaps evaded censorship through time, well, to name one of many such sources is an excellent series of meticulously referenced documentaries created by James Corbett, whose research spans an anything but mainstream series of paramount topics that include a century of enslavement, the history of the Federal Reserve, how and why big oil conquered the world, various titles concerning 9-11, and the World War I conspiracy not to mention a more recent edition, Who is Bill Gates? Further, there remain a number of excerpts stored in independent and encrypted servers around the world. I did not need to dig too deeply before this one caught my eye. Keith, please play sound excerpt B. Thank you very much, um, Richard, and I am delighted to be here in these new headquarters. Um, I have been often to, uh, I guess, the mothership in New York City, uh, but it's good to have an outpost of the council right here down the street from the State Department. Uh, we get a lot of advice from the council, so this 
will mean I won't have as far to go to uh, be told uh, what we should be doing and uh, how uh, we should uh, think about the future. That was the voice of Hillary Clinton, then Secretary of State to Obama, who, as you hear, freely admits taking instructions from the CFR or Council on Foreign Affairs. I will remind you, I remain unbiased towards all political parties, as there is growing evidence that differing parties simply represent different faces of the same centralized group, which supports their common agenda. I very much look forward to hearing our guests' perspective regarding this essential awakening process, all with a view to illuminate the best path to lead us to a positive outcome. You may find us at www.theothersideofmidnight.com. Click on the other side of the news in the drop-down menu or kindly scroll down to tonight's white, the other side of the news show banner. There you will see details for this show, quick links to our bios, as well as links to our show items, references, and selected research. As usual, there's a huge collection of information to read, watch, and listen to, most of which has been handpicked from independent sources. I urge you to study them and even download your own copies sooner than later, as the censorship robots are working around the clock to rewrite our history in real time. During the Earth's last seven rotations, we have once more been inundated by a deluge of remarkable events and headlines reported in the news. To discuss, validate, and present each topic in correct context, could all too easily fill up an entire show by itself. As the other side of the news is not per se a typical news show, and in order to make the best use of our available airtime, I believe we should plot a direct course to greet the rest of our team and to introduce our special guest tonight, Mark Mirabello. Good evening, Kintia. Good evening, Anetta. Ladies, did you hear? Bill Gates will soon be available. Is he your type of guy? <laughs> really? <laughs> Can I say hell to the fuck no? Mm. <laughs> you may. <laughs> I did. Yes. <laughs> and my, my thoughts on that actually are that uh, this is a big scam to be able to divide up the assets and, uh, you know, sell off huge amounts of stock and, and have it look legit. Um, that's just my personal theory on that. I don't know. We'll see. I don't, I don't even think these people are actually habitating the planet, frankly, but you know, call me a tinfoil hat wearer. But uh, anyway, we'll see. We'll all see. I wasn't going to go over um, the the uh, the jab and and the quote virus uh, this week, but uh, I felt compelled to. It turns out because some new stuff came up this week, and I had some new stuff with my own my own health. I had stuff with friends' health, and I had. Things, you know, I had more people that died that I'm aware of personally um, from taking the jab. So I wanted to go over a few things about what I was researching and finding this week. So the first thing I want to talk about the censorship. I'm noticing that the censorship is absolutely ferocious when it comes to the jab. Now, I had to kind of ask myself, you know, and I do, I ask myself these questions all the time. You know, what, why is it that they are so wound up about this jab? You know, what is it? They've got, they've, they've got celebrities pushing, you know, coercing you to get the jab. They're using taxpayers' money to manipulate, manipulate your mind. And personally, I think there's more people awake than, than they want to admit or they wouldn't, be, they wouldn't be so desperately trying to do this. I mean, anytime I look at this desperation, I think the opposite is true. So, you know, there is that going on. 
but you know why why is there this force and coercion? I mean, I don't know what else you would call it. If you don't want to take some pharmaceutical, but you quote have to because it's mandated, then that is force and coercion. So, you know, there's so much pressure on on people, and yet when you ask people about it, they really are completely uninformed. They aren't even misinformed so much. Well, they are misinformed if if their if their doctors are telling them that it's safe, they're misinformed. Uh, because straight up, you can't you can't lie with the numbers on this. Uh, in 2020, uh, the whole calendar year. Now, this is from VAERS, which is uh, you know I've talked about this many times. It, it reports between one and ten percent of the actual data. That's what the CDC says uh, right up front. So. You can take the numbers and multiply them by 10 or 100, depending on how you want to look at it. But anyway, there were 82 deaths from vaccines in uh, 2020. But when we look at 2021, and, and mind you, we're only a little over four months into this, four months and one week, uh, we've got a death rate of 3,345. Of that, 3,269 are directly attributed to the three types of of uh, jabs that they're doing in this country. That's pretty significant. Um, that's up almost 4,000%. So I have to, you know, I, I kind of look at that. Another way to look at it is uh, if you compare the first quarter of 2020 to the first quarter of 2021, 1,000%, 16,000. That's just unbelievable. And yet they aren't closing it down. If you look at any other things that they had, other drug trials and things like that, you know, for deaths, they'll shut it down. They'll take the drug off the market. And that's a fact. We've had that with other items. So why aren't they? So that brings me to why aren't they? Hmm. I don't trust these people. I don't know. Some telling me it's not right. So I'm kind of looking at that. And I was looking at the estimates, the uh, the death estimates. So right now, uh, if you extend that out, we're, we're looking at between 33,000 and 330,000 people uh Americans estimate the death. So even if we're being conservative this year, uh, right now we're looking at 50,000 people have actually died because they're counting all these deaths as something else, heart attack, stroke, this, that. Just like everything was counted as COVID, now everything's counted as something else. But the one thing they all have in common is they got the jab. And it is, uh, as I'll, I'll get to in a minute here, this, isn't, this is not a respiratory disease. Uh, there's a different thing going on, which we've talked about from the beginning, why the respirators were actually killing people, et cetera. So anyway, I just wanted to get into that a little bit. But really, if you extend this out um, and you look at what they estimate even with the NIH and different things like that, if you estimate this out further and you take into uh, consideration the wild viruses that we know are going to come in the fall and in September, October, November, we know that these come. And we know uh, from animal studies on mRNA, which are all canceled because they, they all die, we know what happens when these wild viruses come to a manipulated immune system. So these are not my numbers, but conservatively, they're estimating in America alone over 250,000 deaths this year, vaccine that won't be counted as the vaccine, and over a million over the next couple of years. This is really serious. So the reason you might be, you might be saying, well, what's going on here? Why, why is this? So there was a really interesting article that came out this week. And um, I don't think they meant to uh, blow a big hole in the side of their ship here on this, but it most certainly does. And it was 
it was a published by the Salk researchers. That's a very well-respected uh, research, medical research company. It's S-A-L-K. I have the link in my items. They, uh, they, I'm going to just quote straight out of this article. Scientists have known for a while that the SARS-CoV-2 distinct spike proteins help the virus-infected host by latching onto healthy cells. Now a, new, a major new study shows that the virus spike proteins, which they um, – We'll see. The virus-like proteins also play a key role in the disease itself. So I'm going to skip a little bit. A lot of people think that this is a respiratory disease, but it's really a vascular disease. Really? Oh, my gosh. Is that why we're having all the strokes and the blood clots and the heart attacks and things like that? Well, yes, because uh, it, it affects the endothelial cells, and that's the linings to your blood vessels. That's the linings to your heart. And that's why you get all this thrombosis and clots and, and everything else that's going on. And it's also where it, it doesn't necessarily say that it's going to stay there. It, what if it goes on to the, um, the neural cells, like what's in your brain? They're already coming up with a lot of um, nervous system. We've seen a lot of seizures. Uh, people are, are going blind from this. Um, there's a... a a lot of, of people that are, are it's triggering muscular a dystrophy, muscular, um, you know, muscular results. And so there's all this kind of paralyzation. So anyway, besides all that, it said, so a lot of people think it's a respiratory disease, but it's actually vascular. Okay, we already, we just went over that. Now we can explain why some people have strokes and some people have issues in other parts of the body. The commonality between all of them is they have vascular underpinnings. Really? Wow. You mean there's blood that goes to every part of the body? Yes, indeed it is so. Okay, so they're writing this. I, I don't know. Do they think that we can't figure this out? Um, scientists studying other coronaviruses have long suspected that the spike protein contributed damaging the vascular endothelia cells, but this is the first time the process has been documented. So they're saying that these spike proteins are going in and damaging the endothelium. All right. So this is the spike proteins this is what they are injecting into people hello that's not a good idea that sounds like this sounds like a, um, a holocaust okay all right so anyway in a new study the researchers created a pseudovirus and this is pseudovirus by the way is is not an actual virus it's just a virus that holds a structure okay so the exposure to the pseudovirus resulted in damage to the lungs and arteries in an animal model providing proving that this that spike protein alone was enough to cause disease. Tissue samples showed inflammation in endothelia cells lying the pulmonary artery walls. The team replicated the process in the lab, exposing healthy endothelia cells uh, to the spike protein. They showed the spike protein damaged the cells by binding ACE2. This binding disrupted ACE2's molecular signaling to the mitochondria. And the mitochondria is what, that's your energy producers. This is a big deal, causing the mitochondria to become damaged and fragmented. This is probably why a lot of people are say they have no energy, they have total fatigue, things like that. This is, you, you know, you don't do too well without your mitochondria functioning. So all you need is the spike protein. You don't actually need the virus for it to be extremely da damaging and in fact kill you. If you remove the replicating capabilities of the virus, it still has major damaging effect on the, cell, the vascular cells simply by virtue of its ability to bind to this ACE2 receptor, the S-protein receptor now famous to the COVID. 
Okay. Further studies with mutant spike proteins will also provide new insights towards the ineffectivity and severity of mutant SARS-CoV-2 viruses. So when I look at this, I think, you know, this is worse than lining people up, shooting them in the head, and pushing them into a ditch. And I don't mean to be, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not um, understating the Holocaust from, from previous times, but this is nothing but a straight-up Holocaust. They're injecting what they know to be killers into people's arms. They are lying about it. This is an experimental vaccine. These doctors and all these different people, they are not being uh, ethical at all. This is an experimental vaccine. They aren't telling people what's in it. It is not FDA approved only for, um, you know, purposes of of uh, uh, emergency and that there's no other cure and that's absolutely not true. We know that there's there's uh, quite a few other things that you can do that have 100% effectiveness. 60% of the people that are dying of COVID right now are the people that have been injected with the jab and that's the ones that aren't dying of all the things that they say aren't actually uh, being killed by the jab. Okay, so this is this is euthanasia. Actually, there was a, a newscaster that had a Freudian slip and called it exactly that. Okay. It's it's violating all the Nuremberg Code. It's a calling of the herd. So let's call it what it is. I mean, this is this is really serious. So um, it does build up the spike proteins. Every time you get a, a injection, you build up more of the spike proteins, and it causes pathogenic priming, which is you know, an overreaction of the immune response. So that's why when you get these wild viruses, we're going to see this overreacting in these cytokine storms. I've talked about all this in previous shows. I just wanted it to bring up this paper because it did come out this week. And honestly, it very clearly says exactly what happens. So um, anyway, I, I wanted to talk about that. Then just briefly on other things happening um, ever given. Don't forget about Ever Given. It's still out there in the Bitter Lake with 25 crew members still on board that they will not let off. It, we haven't seen the last of that story. We're not, uh, we're not done with that at all. I, I don't have time to go into all that, but, um, you know, keep your, keep your uh, eyes alerted to that. The, the big thing right now is the election stuff in this country, and then actually in the whole world is watching that. And I think we all know about Arizona. Uh, it's interesting, the Secretary of State, Katie Hobbs of Arizona, has done everything in her power to stop this um, audit. And I can only guess why, because she certified it as a legitimate, a certified um, uh, election, that those numbers were correct. And uh, to certify that, knowing that they are not, knowing what's going on, is actually treason, which is, you know, has the death. Uh, the, the the death sentence attached to it. So she might be finding that pretty hard. Um, Dominion is refusing to comply with the subpoena from the courts and is hiding the second password for their machines. Nothing to hide there. Hmm, look the other way. And now it's causing all these other states to actually come forward. The Anthem County, Michigan, is is uh, has shown some pretty damning evidence New Hampshire is going through its own labor pains, and a lot of other states are starting to get into this. So we're far from done with that. And I'm, I, you know, of course, there's a lot of things uh, going on, but I'll just say about the Dominion stuff. It's interesting, um, and they, you know, this going against the court order 
wow, you know, their long list of crimes. This is this would be called obstruction of justice. <laughs> and the last thing I want to talk about, and this is kind of a besides don't get the vaccine, uh, is the thing about flying. Um, I found out this week um, that the FAA, uh, this is from a whistleblower within the FAA, the FAA has had a um, the number of reported cases from people flying that have had bad behavior, and I'm putting that in quotes, is 10 times the annual average in only months into this year. The flight attendants, um, I, I, if you've taken a flight recently, you'll know you're treated like you're on a prison flight, and you get no, you know, they don't serve drinks, there's no food at all, no, not even a snack, okay? And they're they're having, um, you know, they're, they're treating you very, very uh, like like you've, you've done something wrong by getting on the flight. And you have to follow all of their rules, even though, you know, if you have a medical thing, it doesn't matter. Okay. So you come in, you do all that. And then if you if something happens, like you fall asleep and your mask falls off or anything, you're, you don't have the right kind of mask or whatever it is, I don't know, whatever they make up, they actually... Are they have the ability to take your seat number? They go. They have a computer in the back. They take your name, and they have all of your information. They can dox you. They have all your information: your credit card information, your address, your phone number, your social. Everything is right there, and they send it straight to the FAA. They've had 1,300 reported cases so far this year. So they've turned these these flight attendants have turned into brown shirts, which is you know this all this is looking a lot like uh, Germany. Um, and people that were in Washington, D.C. on January 6th ha- are on a no-fly list. And this is all happening. This activity's report is, this reporting of this activity is happening without kind of notification to you. In other words, they can do that. A flight attendant can dislike you. I don't know, you didn't wear the right color shirt or something, and they can go back and do this. So be aware, be careful, um, and know that this stuff is going on and that it's a total violation of your rights. So uh, with that, I... Of course, there's a lot more news going on, but that's that's going to be all I'm covering today. Cynthia? Well, thank you for an amazing update. Lots of information there to take in. And I'm just taking a deep breath. Whew. So one, one thing I can say when I bounce off of all that information, I am actually really, really, really happy. And you might wonder, well, why? Because we need to take out the garbage in order to clean house. And this is what we're doing as a, as a collective, as humanity. All of this has to surface so we can clean it out. And apparently our guest tonight, Dr. Mark Mirabello, is going to fill us in on history that goes way back. You know, it's uh, the average person. I know I myself was really ignorant in this or, yeah, uninformed. I've been uninformed i admit i have been uninformed in the past of all the workings of the shadow government and the dark forces and what they've been doing behind the scenes and i'm so grateful that all this information is coming out because what i see is that people are you know gathering i mean nine miles of protesters in london nine miles you know, hundreds of thousands protesting. And this is happening around the world because they remember World War II. They remember what it is to live under that kind of tyranny. And we're seeing it here and more and more people, governments are are coming down. Uh, they're being challenged. The people are standing up and challenging them. And we need that. We definitely need that. We need to wake up. 
And so I am really grateful for that. And I want to say, you know, all this dark gloom about the vaccines, as you know, I've been distressed about my own son and I happened to come across a link from Dr. Judy Mikovich, which I put among my links. It's only one minute long, but I'll cut to the chase here. She says that the antidote is um, called Suramin, S-U-R-A-M-I-N, Suramin. And it's a hundred-year-old essential medicine that has been used for treating African sleeping sickness. So there you have it. So without further ado, I would like to introduce our amazing guest, Dr. Mark Mirabello. He has a PhD from the University of Glasgow in Scotland and an MA from the University of Virginia in the U.S. and a BA from the University of Toledo also in the U.S. and currently serves as a professor in Ohio. Dr. Mark Mirabello is the author of several books that deal with the supernatural. That's called The Traveler's Guide to the Afterlife and The Odin Brotherhood, along with books on The Unnatural, a Pulitzer-nominated horror novella called The Cannibal Within, which has also been translated into Italian, and The Natural, a handbook for rebels and outlaws. His current project is Secret Societies and Conspiracies, and that's why he's going to be a fabulous guest tonight. He has appeared on numerous TV documentaries, including the History Channel. He appeared with Professor Noam Chomsky in M.A. Little's film, The Kingdom of Survival. He's been on Gaia TV, radio shows, including Coast to Coast, and podcasts, and just too many to even mention. So welcome, Mark. Are you with us? Well, thank you for the wonderful introduction. And by the way, my <laughs> university, Shawnee State University in Ohio, always needs a free advertisement, so I'll mention that off the top. And oh, um, also the half-hour uh, material the three hosts have been covering, all of you, it's very interesting. Uh, let me start with saying five dots, 21. Now, I'm also raising three fingers. What I'm doing is... That's a secret symbol of the triads, one of the most powerful secret societies on the planet. It comes from China, originally established by allegedly to restore the Ming dynasty and to oust the Manchu. Uh, they had imposed humiliating terms on Chinese men. They had to wear pigtails, for example. But today, the triads are across the planet, especially they've penetrated the Taiwanese government. And it leads us to this point, I should mention, that there's two types of secret societies. There's the underworld secret societies, such as the triads, the Yakuza in Japan, and of course the popular, well-known, celebrated, infamous mafia from Sicily, as well as the Camorra in Naples originally. And the <laughs> most powerful mafia now is the Drangheta from Calabria in the extreme south of Italy, which is also now global. And is you the have one so from the, Italy, is that the Kazarian Mafia? Is that the one you mean? Which one? The Kazarian Mafia, is that the one you mean that's from Italy? Um, well, you got me there. I'm not certain what that particular, what you just oh. mentioned is. But this okay. one's from uh, Calabria. And mm -hmm. the point I wanted to make, too, is that we have these, um, the Vori in Russia, we have these underworld secret societies, but then we also have the overworld secret societies. 
Oh, wait a moment. Whoa, whoa. What do you mean when you say underworld and overworld? Do you mean like they're down there in tunnels? What do you mean? No, specifically, let me put it this way. Well, in fact, after I describe the overworld and then give examples, and I'll mention the definition here. Underworld is they've been criminalized. Underworld gangs, for example. Ah. The overworld are the people that, frankly, are... The, well, let me put it this way. The overworld would be the Bilderbergers, the Trilateral Commission, the Club of Rome, uh, the Council on Foreign Relations were mentioned. And ah. Al, Al Capone famously said, these are the people that make their money from the legitimate rackets. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we, have, we have the organized crime making it from illegitimate activities. And the overworlds making it from legitimate rackets and are legitimate because they control the governments. And as a result, their activities are not illegal. Now, to give you an example how this works, uh, not to pick on, um, uh, again, Musk. I'm just using him as an example. He's worth now $180 billion, roughly, which by coincidence, the entire gross national product of Kenya, which has 52 million people, 52 million people working, uh, farming crops, working in factories, doing all sorts of work, their entire gross national product for a year is $180 billion. Now, in any rational universe, is there anything Musk does that is equal to the economic output of an entire nation of 52 million people, not in a rational universe, but in our sort of Disney world universe, it is. And incidentally, not to get too far afield, but what Musk is basically, and again, not just him, um, well, let me put it this way, not to get too far back, but the Dutch invented the joint stock company, limited liability company. And what that meant was, this goes way back to the 17th century, you could, rather than if you invested in a merchant ship, and frankly, some of these were slave ships, um, you, if the ship were lost, you lost everything, including, for example, often your home, creditors. And the limited liability company, you lost only your investment. And today we buy stock on the New York Stock Exchange. I, in fact, have some stocks. And if a company goes bankrupt, all I lose is my investment. But in recent years, the mega rich have produced this gaming of the system. And in 1920, for example, if you purchased a stock, that stock would pay, would pay a dividend every year. And this would be a percentage of their profits to stockholders. Also, the stockholder himself could vote uh, and the company matters. Nowadays, for example, Tesla has lost billions of dollars over the years. So how does he become rich losing billions of dollars? Makes because no sense. he issues stocks and then these hysterical investors who think he's a genius buy the stock and it drives the price up. Right now, Tesla stock is worth the same amount as the next eight car companies put together in terms of value, even though the other eight car companies are producing profits every year, such as Ford Motor. Ford Motor sells for $11 a share. I even forget what Tesla's selling for now. It's roughly, was it $2,000 a share? 
But see, he gets that money. And uh, this happens with all these, these mega corporations. Amazon, for years, was losing money every year, but it made Bezos into a billionaire. And um, the whole, and then getting now to the secret societies aspect, I want to make it clear that the notion that there's one world government attempt is probably, I would tend to disagree with that, although I could be wrong. What's really happening is there are multiple groups uh, vying for, uh, shall we say, top position. Mm-hmm. But their main interest is not so much controlling the world, it's exploiting the world, making money off it. Mm-hmm. Uh, during the first half hour, you mentioned the vaccines. And again, the money, 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 money making opportunities. It reminds me, sodium fluoride issue. We know the Nazis during World War II experimented with sodium fluoride on concentration camp inmates. They alleged they found evidence that it caused docile behavior. If you look at Prozac, the popular pharmaceutical drug, which is for basically um, depression and uh, mental issues, I should say, it's about 90% sodium fluoride. Although it's listed as an inactive ingredient, we're putting sodium fluoride in our water supply, in our toothpaste, and in Prozac. But here's why. It's not because someone's trying to uh, necessarily kill us or turn us into slaves. Sodium fluoride is a byproduct of aluminum manufacturing. It's a poison. And they had to originally get rid of it. But... Uh, what do they do with it? It's a typical Western ingenuity. Instead of getting rid of it or destroying it, they sell it to us. <laughs> we do the same thing with weapons. We're now using uranium-depleted shells. We use them in Iraq. We use them in Libya. We use them in the, in the uh, Yugoslav Civil War. Uranium-depleted shell has nuclear waste on it. We're blasting thousands of shells that will kill children with cancer for generations to come. Why do they do it? They're not necessarily being sinister. They just, what do you do with nuclear waste? You have to pay to bury it, so it's much more effective to put it onto onto a shell. So I should also, another theme, and I'm sorry, I'll I'll let let you get back in here, but I did want to point out that Having studied secret societies, and we'll get into some of the specific ones in a moment, there's always an element of play. Imagine juvenile-level intellectual men, grown men acting as juveniles are. They're playing with the world. They're not only profiting, it's fun, well, to use slang, to mess with us. It's like frat boys playing practical tricks on the pretty girls in college and sadly um, so always remember an element of play is involved an element of profit is involved and when it comes to control in fact I use this example I've used it in a previous show and I'll use it here again the best metaphor is the farm the the uh, world livestock as Charles Fort famously said from uh, Book of the Damned and so forth. And when the farmer needs to control 
again, the sheep. He doesn't have to control every motion of every individual lamb, you, and so forth every moment. He has a dog. He has also a castrated ram called a Merriweather. And with the, um, he basically controls the sheep when they wander too far outside. And this is what happens to us. You have a relative amount of freedom, but if you go too far afield or you become a threat of some way, uh, you'll be perhaps sheared and perhaps even butchered in a sense, uh, which is why I want to make it very clear to your audience. Um, resistance is futile, as they would say in the sci-fi series. Uh, there's really nothing you can do to stop it. And I frankly do not suggest gaining a high profile position uh, to try to fight it. It won't work, including protests. 30 million people protested the second Iraq war across the globe, and we still attacked Iraq. And we killed several hundred thousand people in the process. Uh, and by the way, both Iraq and Afghanistan wars as a result of 9-11, we lost 3,000 on 9-11. We end up losing well over 7,000 of our people in these wars. So why you've lost 3,000 people, why add another 7,000 dead? as well as thousands of wounded, which, by the way, you'll never hear this in an Army commercial, but roughly 30% of all injuries to soldiers are groin injuries. So we've produced perhaps thousands of uh, impotent men as a result of these horrible wars. But wars bankrupt individual countries, but they enrich a small minority. This would happen to Great Britain. It enriched a small, the British Empire enriched a small minority, but not the average person in Great Britain. That's why we have to root them out. And I have to say, I I was pretty astounded at the beginning when you were naming off all these different factions. I mean, I, I had a sense that, oh, yeah, there are these hidden secret societies. But to the degree of how many, I mean... It's like mind-boggling. Now you've amplified the problem by a hundred. I just like, but I still, Mark. I'm sorry. I I do not give up, and I I think that humanity is at a very different place than it has been in the past. I I don't believe that we shouldn't. I mean, I'm not saying line up for them to take a shot at you, but I think together we uh, we can make a change. I do believe we can make a change. By the way, you mentioned one of my books, The Odin Brotherhood. Mm -hmm. Uh, The FBI National Archive has two copies of it. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Now, again, it's curious. Um, And incidentally, um, while I'm on it, I should mention if some of the audience will be Americans, we have in the United States the Smith Act, which was passed in 1940. Anyone, I'm not saying you just did this, I'm just saying when people get involved in chat rooms and so forth, anyone who even discusses, doesn't even take any action, but discusses overthrowing the American government, it's a felony. And I don't think most Americans realize that. And what often happens in chat rooms and various other internet sites, there'll be plans. Uh, we Remember... Just about a year ago, I think it was, they arrested several men plotting to uh, allegedly assassinate the governor of Michigan. 
Whitmer was her name, I think. Uh-huh. Uh, almost certainly, I would guarantee you, there was a plant in there. There was someone in that group of men, and these are probably guys drinking beer, boasting what they're going to do. That's what most men do. Mm. They actually don't take any action. They simply talk about it. And then a plant is inserted and then encourages them to take, uh, undertake radical activities. And then everybody's arrested after they get evidence of it. Incidentally, I don't think most Americans realize this, the 1993 attack on the World Trade Center with the truck bomb in the parking yeah. garage, mm -hmm. at the time it was ridiculed as an amateurish plot by the FBI. We now know years later they admitted see their plan was was to cause one building to fall into the other. Oh, so they and were trying they, it back then. Well what they were what they what I'm trying to say here is the I guess I'm getting too far afield, but the reason I brought this up is um fortunately they failed to do that. They would have killed perhaps twenty, thirty thousand people. But when they were all arrested Every man involved, these were Muslim extremists, every man involved was caught. They were put on trial. And in the federal trial, the government prosecutor showed videotape of them mixing the bomb in a storage locker. And How did they get that? These, well, you're asking the proper question. The jury people are so clueless and stupid uh, that serve on these juries, they should have asked this question. How did you get this out? It's because one of the operatives was actually an Egyptian who was an undercover operative. He was a former Egyptian military intelligence, and he was in the group. In fact, encouraging them, encouraging them to make the attack on the World Trade Center. Um, and he was filming them. And then the film was produced at the trial to convict. And he, by the way, became a millionaire. He was given over a million dollars. Uh, informants will make a lot of money. Um, and I sure well, did they convict him? Him, the Egyptian? No, he was working he, for the government. Oh, so he, he got free. He got the million dollars, and he got free. Yes, yes. In fact, oddly enough, he tried to warn the FBI when the attack was going to occur, and they didn't believe him. <laughs> it, oh. It's curious in the films of the FBI and Central Intelligence Agency. They're always really professional, and they're, they're better than everyone else. But in fact, the – well, not to criticize it, but I guess I am. Uh, the, like everything, there's a huge level of incompetence. And, uh, but getting back to the secret societies, um, it seems to be um, – uh, in fact, remember we also referred to the Drangheta in Calabria um, – among their investments, this is an Italian criminal secret society, is in um, green energy. Green <laughs> energy? Why is that? Well, they're heavily invested in it. It's because it's become a fad. Um, and, pro and probably one of the reasons you hear endless material about uh, criticizing fossil fuels and, uh, and, and encouraging green energy it's not to save the planet, really, the people that are making the money. It's probably, again, these dark investments. Oh, incidentally, and um, this will be shocking to most of the audience, but it's true. You can check it after the show is over. Go online and go, for example, to the NASA site. We hear endlessly, endlessly, endlessly 
that the northern polar ice cap is shrinking. Clear evidence of global warming. How many people hear that the global ice cap in Antarctica is growing? It is. Yeah, I heard that. I heard that from Annette, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's I'm trying to because, come off mute to say, I do, I do. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's curious. If you go to the NASA website, there's a tag right there that says, this is not disproved global warming. <laughs> uh, they admit it, but they said this has nothing to do with this. And by the way, in the 1970s, they were arguing, notice there are periodic fears, uh, uh, panics. Um, we had, for example, the Ebola virus. We have this present one. We have, in the 1970s, they, had the, they claimed we were running out of oil. Anyone who's older remember that? The petroleum's going to dry up. Right. Um, they were also predicting in the 1970s an ice age was returning. The climatologists say that most of human history were covered in ice, not hot, but cold. Right. But again, I don't think they really know. We do know, and I can speak as a historian, we have firm evidence from records, climate constantly changes, mm -hmm. but it goes up and down, up and down. There was a miniature ice age around the 14th century, 15th century after Christ, that actually caused help to contribute to the extinction of Viking Greenland. Mm -hmm. um, the, um, they settled Greenland during a brief warming period, and then the weather degenerated, and it helped, um, shall we say, destroy them. And, and by the way, I should also mention with the Vikings in Greenland, there the Native Americans won. The Inuit, the Eskimo, killed off the settlers. So it's not always just one way. Right. Although, sadly, right. in the New World, overwhelmingly, when they came in later, it was a, a lopsided mm -hmm. uh, battle, and mainly from biological warfare. They brought in smallpox and all sorts of diseases. Well, I was going to say, yeah, actually, that's one of the very few times where we actually see a real disease causing a real crisis, because uh, I, my, from my research and what I look at in viruses and, you know, and I'm going to say, I'm going to put big air quotes, if you can see me, uh, around that term, viruses, uh, but anyway, even if you believe that that's how it works, most of these are man-made uh, as far as the story goes. In other words, I don't even think that they, you know, they're, they're, it's a plague of corruption. And the corruption, I'd like to get to the, uh, the corruption of who's, who's running these, these uh, things, these uh, um, agendas. Because, like, for example, your example around uh, the, the Prozac. Okay. But they aren't, they aren't getting rid of tons of uh, byproducts of aluminum through Prozac. So there's some, there is something else going on. I mean, they are making a profit out of it, but they don't, they don't need to be poisoning you and killing your pineal gland to do it. So there's obviously some other agenda going on there. So what do you think that is? Because I'm not buying it's just to get rid of a, a toxic waste product, byproduct. Well, it is possible that, in the end, it does seem to induce docile behavior. And again, um, there seems to be, well, another point on this, um, we, there's a Russians discovered, they were, they were breeding minks some years ago for coats. Mm -hmm. And this, this, I'm sorry, not minks, foxes for coats. And this Russian breeder got the idea of only breeding the most docile, submissive foxes. He thought perhaps he would produce a softer, better quality coat. He was shocked to discover that roughly after four generations of inbreeding 
only the most docile foxes, the animals started to take on dog characteristics. And that's probably where dogs come from. We took the puppies that were docile and bred them. But it's interesting, it seems to be when we uh, encourage docile behavior among humans, for example, presently in the West, it's the sensitive, soft man is now the type we're all supposed to be, and not the violent, aggressive, medieval knight or Japanese samurai or Spartan warrior. But when you breed only the, um, the some more docile, subservient men, quiet men, it appears as if there's been suggested after roughly four generations, everyone will be this way. We may just turn into a huge kind of United States of Brady Bunch and um, won't be able to fight a war if we wanted to. Now, meanwhile, this is not going on elsewhere. We've just seen the, the Afghans have now defeated two superpowers in mm -hmm. my lifetime. Well, and, and lucky, have, yeah, lucky for us, those docile men apparently don't like to reproduce as well as some of the uh, more virile ones. So, thank God. <laughs> you, say, I mean, you say lucky that the docile men reproduce? No, that they don't. That they don't have as much tendency towards that. Believe me, I live in California. <laughs> uh, I know from which I speak. So, <laughs> well, remember, look how many men we've put in prison. Um, mm -hmm. These are the. In fact, one of the curious things there was a theory in the 19th century by Lombroso who said that all felons are basically cavemen. He was influenced by Darwin because he pointed out that all the felons in our prisons, I'm talking about maximum security prisons, yeah. their skills, killers and so forth, would be very useful in the Ice Age, hunters and gatherers. And he pointed out that they're basically men in the wrong time, that they can't function in an urban environment this way, so now this actually gets way out of control because he eventually claimed he could look at people. Hey, and Mark, say, sorry. Hey, Mark, I, I, I want to pick this up on the other side of the break. We're about to hit break now. So, okay. okay. Uh, yeah. So this night's show is the art of brinkmanship and our guest is Mark Mirabello and we'll be right back after the break. Midnight.com. Talk radio with pictures on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 cents a day. Talk radio with pictures on demand. The other side of midnight.com. 
Well, I think you're looking with this great reset, you're looking at Mr. Globaloni's efforts to move everybody into a cashless society, which, you know, like it or not, that's a one-way mirror, folks. Because at that point, you're not dealing with a currency. You're dealing with a corporate coupon that they can adjust the value of at the push of a button, depending on whether or not you're good little boys and girls. And if you're getting into a system where all of the infrastructure of financial clearing is in the hands of the bankers, that's not a system you want to go into. You look at the West, and more importantly, if you look at what some people call the Anglosphere, the, the Western powers that are English-speaking, the United Kingdom, Canada, United States, and so on. I do think it's the case there. They're using a health crisis really to drive a, a political agenda. And the health crisis itself is largely blown way, way out of proportion to what's actually the case. If you look at what Mr. Globalone is up to, they are recreating slavery. And the, the thing that is unique about slavery is they now have the means of perfecting the capital because now they can literally implant your body with the means to track you. It's not going to go away overnight, but there are already uh, I think some hopeful signs of cracks beginning to appear in the edifice. This is Joseph P. Farrell, and for all the news the media doesn't like you to hear, tune in to the other side of the news. And our guest tonight is Mark Marabello, and I'm here with my co-host, Kenzia and Timothy. And uh, we were just talking about uh, the skills of more testosterone-laden men and how that would be, a, um, you know, an asset in times past. So let's pick it up where we left off there. And by the way, at the top of the hour, that really interesting segment you just ran reminded me of, too, of slavery. Um, the idea that we think slavery is gone, but in fact it's not. And he also was talking about, back into Secret Society's material, Carol Quigley, 
Clinton's favorite, Bill Clinton's favorite professor, wrote a wonderful book claiming that he did believe there was an attempt of a one-world controlling force he called the Round Table. And he said they were these elite men, they were overwhelmingly male, and they were using their control over the education system, their control over the media, and their control over the money supply. That's the key. And that's why in a lot of these uh, conspiracy theories, and by the way, before I forget, Cass Sunstein, who was a lawyer in the Bill Clinton, um, in the Obama administration, he actually wrote an, an academic paper claiming that conspiracy theories should either be illegal, illegal, or taxed, which is a curious notion. Um, this was an especially, acad- especially when they're becoming, you know, a lot of the things that we've been you know, talking about on the show, we've been on for what, well, almost 14 months or something. And a lot of what we've been talking about, you know, has become conspiracy fact, actually. So anyway, just well, go on. <laughs> well, if he got his way, you'd all be in prison. So, <laughs> yeah. Now, but um, there's the so-called Jekyll Island group. Mm-hmm. And that's what the disparaging name for the Federal Reserve is. And it's actually really frightening of what's going on here. But once again, let me make it very clear. You, you can't stop it. And I wouldn't suggest anybody try to resist. Um, Mark Pittman, a journalist, actually fired the first and only lawsuit against the Federal Reserve and ended up dead. Now, they say it was natural causes. He had a heart attack in his 40s. Although when I mentioned in your your other show, we know how to cause that. The um, CIA has a special, it was revealed during the Frank Church Senate hearings, called the heart attack gun. That propels an ice projectile with a toxin. If you get hit by it, you think you've been bitten by a mosquito, it'll give you a heart attack. And again, um, so you don't want to resist it, but it is kind of frightening. Since it was established at Jekyll Island meetings, uh, six men met in secret in a resort off the coast of Georgia, and they got the Federal Reserve planned, was approved in 1913 by the Congress, and its main goal was to protect our money and our economy. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, hold up. You're saying that they're they're saying that the formation of the Federal Reserve was to protect us? Yes. Oh, really? I I have a very different view. No, no, never, (laughs) never, never go by what the rhetoric is very different (laughs) from. If you look at what the trilateral commission says it's for, uh, the Council on Foreign Relations, um, even the Freemasons, um, and frankly, even the mafia says it's it's an, a chivalrous organization of men of honor. Uh, they always depict themselves as positive people and helping out the rest of us. Uh, but you have to read through the rhetoric. Uh, I wish Americans would do that more and world people more. Uh, one of my favorite lines, uh, I thought I made it up, but apparently other people have said it, never believe anything until it's officially denied. Mm-hmm. Never take the information that's being put out there. And by the way, another rule of thumb is World War II bomber pilots used to use this. They said when the flak is heavy, we're on target. That's right. So if you're under attack for a position and it's really vicious, it's probably because you're on target. 
Well, that's what I was saying about the, the pharmaceutical. I mean, the, the censorship is, 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 you know, crazy right now. But the pharmaceutical stuff, which I think is a planned eugenics, uh, you know, it's a Holocaust, just, you know, that's what they're doing. Um, that is the, why they're protecting it so much. I mean, if you look currently, if, you, if, if Americans would do this and consider this idea that what they're seeing, what's black is white, what's white is black, favorite old Jesuit thing, uh, well, then, you know, if, if you're, I actually do watch mainstream media. I don't watch it on television. I've never owned a television, but I do watch clips. And the reason I do is I want to know what they're saying to people. And what I've noticed, Mark, is that it's exactly what you're saying. They, they, if you take what they're saying and you do a, uh, you know, you're, you do a diametric opposite of this and you just go 180 degrees out of phase, you will have the truth. It's know? actually David Icke actually says that. I was plagiarizing him. He said he was referring to the Illuminati, but he says everything they say is reverse it. Yeah. And uh, image, yeah. yeah. Yes. And by the way, the since the federal well, actually two points here. We're talking about again the pharmaceutical industry, and I agree with you on that. And also the Federal Reserve. The first of all, it's not in any way federal. Uh -huh. These are private bankers. They're no more federal than the Federal, <laughs> federal Express. The CDC or a whole bunch of other ones, right? <laughs> yeah. They, they, oh, by the way, the, the Center for Disease Control, anyone, notice no one ever raises the question, why is that in Atlanta? If they're really handling, and they do handle infectious diseases there, viruses and so on and so forth, why would you stick that next to uh, Emory University in, in Atlanta, a major metropolitan area? You stick it in the middle of nowhere is where you build something like that. And it, it reminds me at times, it almost appears as if, uh, well, the old saying is, um, uh, they don't know what they're doing, but they don't mean any harm. I think it was Robert mm -hmm. Anton Wilson who said, they know what they're doing and they mean to harm us. Um, mm -hmm. this, this really, um, you know, they build, where they build various nuclear power plants and so forth. Um, it almost seems intentional, but it could just be, are they just being... Um, uh, moronic or is there a plot here i think there's a but plot on the, uh, but on the <laughs> but federal wear, reserve you gotta wear uh, a tinfoil hat too <laughs> <laughs> on the federal reserve the american dollar has lost 98 percent of its value mm -hmm. since it was established and also in the 1970s um nixon took us off the gold backing of the dollar and just like Stocks are now generated by speculators. When I talked about the uh, we really grossly overpriced, our dollar is basically we allow it to float on world markets, and all these currencies are this way. Although the Chinese are smarter than us in, on this, they 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 protect the yuan, and that's what we should be doing. And uh, with all this um, money we're printing now, um, I suspect there's a plot to destroy the dollar intentionally and they'll reissue a currency. Uh, there's something going on. I can't believe that um, right now, I guess the estimate is 20% of all dollars in circulation are actually been printed in the last year. Uh, you just can't turn on printing presses. That's what the Germans did in 1923 in the Weimar Republic and they got hyperinflation. By the end of the year, a turnip cost 2 trillion marks. And if we were to have hyperinflation in the United States, and a, a, a banana cost uh, $2 trillion, uh, that's where the national debt would be paid off. You just write a personal check. And all the people holding the debt would be swindled. 
Um, and by the way, historically, uh, huge debts are simply wiped out. Uh, this would happen when the Russian Revolution occurred. They just announced everybody that owes, we owed, we we're no longer going to pay it. Um, and this happens on many occasions. Um, so, um, and I just heard recently that American debt at all levels, consumer debt, student debt, mortgage debt, government debt, state and local government debt is now four, four times the size of our gross national product. That's right, yeah. Well, a lot of things that people don't understand, for example, we talk about 20% of the uh, you know, money has been printed this year. Well, no, not literally, because it's actually, you know, fractional banking allows it to just be, uh, it's a digital thing. It's, a, it's a, a keystroke it's created. I mean, they aren't even bothering to print it literally on a, on a printing press. Um, so we have this, this unbelievable, you know, uh, extortion <laughs> From, you know, we talked about this on the show before, but the taxes, American taxpayer dollars, they think it goes to, I don't know, fix roads and hold up schools. Well, it doesn't. It, it pays these individuals that set up the um, reserve banking system uh, that pays interest on money they created out of nothing. They literally created out of thin air, turned it into thin air on a computer screen and said, yeah, that's it. I mean, it, it's 1.3 cents to, to print a bill. Uh, you know, an actual, you know, thing that we carry around and say this is worth this much money. So this is a real scam, and people don't understand. We have, in, in all currencies around the world right now, are, are except for, you know, the Chinese yen is probably, I think everything else is fiat currency right now. Am I correct on that? And, uh, yeah, and oddly enough, when every dollar is printed, they're paying interest to the, to the bankers for it. They, right, they, that's what I'm saying, yeah. That's yeah. where all our tax dollars are going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a curious... Uh, situation. And um, now, again, when we talked earlier, if there is indeed control going on, uh, how could it be done? And one example I always give on this issue is what the British used in, for example, West Africa, and frankly, the ancient Romans used it in their empire as well. The British called it indirect rule. Lord Lugard coined the term. And the way um, they, they were controlling, for example, West Africa, their colonies in West Africa were just a few thousand people. And the way they did that was they would put the tribal elite, they called them, on the payroll. They'd say, you're in charge of your local village, and we're going to pay you to do this. You can run the village local affairs where you want, but you listen to us for the big issues. And it's been suggested that's how the world is run today. The political figures are the so-called tribal elite. And they're not really controlling. The uh, president is not really controlling the United States. Mm -hmm. He's basically chief uh, so-and-so, and he's following orders. And they let him play it in the sandbox sometimes. He can do what he wants on certain issues. But by and large, he's taking orders of what to do. And, and again, most of this is to just cause uh, disruption and trouble. Notice also the public never debates the really serious issues, such as we talk about the debt and the various wars, but they're constantly throwing social issues at us because this always gets emotional. For example, who gets to use which bathroom? Uh, what's the definition of marriage? I'm not trying to criticize these issues, but they distract us with these issues so that we don't discuss issues that may be actually destroying us. 
Now, it may be harmful if you're a gay person and they won't let you marry, but if our debt explodes, it's going to hurt us all. But we're distracted by this. And incidentally, the Mexicans call the American two-party system the beast with two heads because they can't see any difference between the two, really. And there really aren't that many differences. And they, what happened is in the USSR, the country was controlled by an elite operating openly, one elite group, Communist Party. In the United States, they pretend to divide into two sporting teams, Democrats and Republicans. And then they, they scrimmage back and forth. Um, people are encouraged by, it seems there's a change would occur when someone else is elected, but nothing ever changes. It's the same thing over and over and over again. And as I, I mentioned in the previous program, I have a feeling that the, I'm not trying to defend Trump here, but the reason he caused so much trouble and was attacked so much is he, he wasn't following the rules. He's a sort of an arrogant person that thinks he knows what he's doing. And probably he was not doing what he was supposed to do, obey these faceless people, ignore the man behind the curtain. Remember in The Wizard of Oz? Um, they, these are the people who really run the show. And he was actually thought he was in control, so they had to take him down. Mark, but Timothy, uh, just uh, just to segue a little bit, just to pick up your point, I think that also is something which we can see in the last 12 months or 13 months or so is just how ineffective these what I call puppet leaders uh, actually are, because you know in the beginning when this uh, coronavirus thing. Uh, was smeared all over the planet. Um, people were looking for leadership. And initially, some of the leaders actually did stand up and say, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. So, I mean, for example, some were more successful than others. I mean, if you look at the head of Belarus, but he declined the wonderful invitation to borrow shitloads of money uh, and therefore bring in sort of lockdown protocol. Uh, Sweden did a different thing. The UK started to take its own direction. Uh, but very soon, it seems that all of the leaders, or almost all of the leaders around the planet, uh, in unison, uh, stepped one, one, you know, one or two feet to the side and let the protocol from the WHO uh, take over. And that, you know, that may be an actual protocol written into law but it's pretty surprising, isn't it, when you see so many countries around the world that are just suddenly uh, have their leader told to step down and do what they're told. Do you have any comments about that? Yes, exactly. I think you're, you've, you've, we've been touching this, that it's basically the puppeteers, which, by the way, perhaps the ultimate goal of all this and indeed, the World Health Organization even discussed this in the 1950s, was what they claimed was this population problem of overpopulation. And perhaps all of these issues are intended to reduce the population. In fact, the Club of Rome, which is established in 1968, that's their main goal, to cut back the size of human population. Um, they suggested, in fact, some suggestions are there should be no more than 500 million people on the planet. The so-called Georgia Guidestones, 
which were erected by an anonymous benefactor in uh, one of the counties in Georgia. Uh, I think that was in the 1970s. Um, it's got inscriptions on granite in eight languages calling for, again, the guy who started this was what he calls himself Christian Rosecross, a reference to the Rosicrucian Secret Society, that in eight languages to call for the reduction of human population to 500,000. Some people have suggested that the real purpose of the vaccines, I'm not trying to say this is true, people have suggested it, that it increases infertility. Um, and what's curious is the entire human population, everybody standing next to each other, would only fill up Rhode Island, which is under 1,000 square miles. So at one level, we do seem to be not that overpopulated, but another level we are because there are these massive um, cities with huge slums. And I'm now plagiarizing the economic historians who say, Today, we have the richest people who have ever walked the earth, but also the poorest. There are people today in squalid poverty that would never existed in the time of Nebuchadnezzar II in ancient Babylon or in the middle, well, at some level, even the Middle Ages. Um, it's, it's, um, and again, it's, it's curious. And I should here go that there's a reason. And again, I've mentioned this in virtually every discussion on secret societies. Mm -hmm. Yes, and population by Malthus. He's the uh, turn of the century, 18th, 19th century uh, writer in England, Anglican vicar, who claimed everybody always quotes that he said that the resources increase arithmetically, but the population increases geometrically. Darwin even read SAM population, got his idea for evolution from it, natural selection. But what's curious about Malthus, he actually says, the ruling elite should be spreading diseases and building slums because he says if you allow the poor people, you give them good conditions, they will multiply and create a crisis. So we have to cull them, so to speak. We crowd them into tenement buildings. We crowd them into, we force them to eat basically poor quality food. We give them contaminated water supplies. We let periodic epidemics reduce their numbers. And he said that overall, the human race would benefit from this. But if we just let everybody multiply out of control, it'll create crises. And the question another... is, I was going to say, the question is the human race, which members of the human race will benefit from this? Because uh, we, we touched upon the, the population problem uh, not, not so long ago, actually, on this show. Um, I was commenting that, you know, if you take a flight, you can fly for hours without seeing any any evidence of human humanity on on the countryside at all. No houses, no you know, uh, no evidence of a human. Um, it's possible to do that, and yet as you come to huge conurbations, I mean, Los Angeles is sort of one of the largest. Uh, it's obviously the opposite extreme, but the, the point is that I don't believe we have a population problem. Um, in terms of overpopulation, in fact, Elon Musk, you mentioned him earlier in the show, uh, he says one of the biggest issues that is facing humanity in the near future is a population explosion in terms of underpopulation. And uh, I think really what we have is, is, a, is a problem of population management and the, the ill management of world resources. And by the way, in the United States, um, 
nearly two-thirds of people live on 3.5% of the land. Uh, if we travel the United States, especially in the West, we'll see these vast, vacant areas. No one lives there, yet they're all clustering into these urban concentrations. And which reminds me, too, if we if we learn any lesson from this, for example, coronavirus, although I don't think we'll learn it, when you pack 27,000 people per square mile, that's called New York City, you're, you're creating problems. Also, when we warehouse elderly people in rest homes crowded together uh, in a vast country, this is creating problems. Well, we, of course, we won't learn the lesson. Uh, when 9-11 happened, what do we do? We build another skyscraper in the same location. We should have learned the lesson that skyscrapers should not be constructed anymore. They're too vulnerable. We saw the destruction, but we don't learn. But again, it may be intentional, which leads me to another idea that I'm always quoting this, so I don't mean to be redundant or repeating myself, but it's important, is George Orwell's 1984, who himself was from the elite. He went to Eton, uh, as did Huxley, curiously enough, who wrote Brave New World. And Orwell says he has O'Brien in 1984, the party member, talking to the main character saying that the reason there are depressions and wars and terror attacks and malnourishment and so forth is because if everyone were well-fed, educated, had decent homes, it would become obvious that the elite serves no purpose. There's no reason for the elite. But when we create a crisis, they call to us for help and they're willing to sacrifice their rights and their freedoms to be rescued. As we've seen in the past year, people will obey orders. They're frightened, they're afraid. Uh, so you create the crisis intentionally uh, to keep the livestock in line. Um, it's, it's a curious world. It certainly uh, is. I'm, I was fascinated that you just brought up Huxley. Uh, I was reading this week that um, Julian Huxley who is Aldous's brother. Um, also, he was the grandson of uh, Charles Darwin's, who is known as the bulldog, Charles Darwin. Uh, but Julian Huxley uh, was involved in forming both the marketing and also the whole forming the concept of eugenics from population control um, as, as part of the Rockefeller Foundation. And, you know, you kind of think, well, okay, Aldous Huxley, he wrote Brave New World, you know, surely brother wouldn't be uh, have one foot on the other side of the line I, I always thought the brave new world was a warning but maybe it was actually uh, marketing to entice people by the way the most interesting part of that that novel to me was the way the lowest class when everyone was being bred and tested they would cut off the oxygen to some of the fetuses the embryos I should say and it's so that they were born they were uh, sub-level intelligence uh, so they could become the lowest class um, which reminds me too in ancient Sparta we're always talking about they practiced eugenics they would kill puny sickly Spartan babies but among the helots their slave class which were heavily outnumbered the Spartans they would call the healthy strong intelligent helots in fact, apparently teenage Spartan boys as part of their training would live, uh, Cryptia was called, they would live in the wilderness naked with simply a dagger to hunt humans. 
They would steal their food and kill helots. And every year, the Spartan state declared war on the helot population, which gave every Spartan citizen the right to kill any helot for any reason. And they forced the helots to wear dog skin caps. Incredible. Yes. Mark, and, uh, yes. Mark, I'm very sorry to cut you off, but we're just coming up to uh, the bottom of the hour break. So okay. let's, let's rejoin on the other side. But in the meantime, you're listening to the other side of the news. And tonight's show is called The Art of Brinkmanship. As you continue to work on yourself, the tribe comes forward. They'll come right to your door. So just keep doing the work and it'll come together. Yep, as you increase your frequency, then you become more mature in your manifestation abilities and your other higher senses and gifts come online and then you have more power to make your world different and better and how you want it. And so that's why working on yourself is so important because then you're going to create the reality that you want rather than get sucked into the dystopia that's being created by the negative or shadow side. We're becoming uh, Renaissance men and women where we have multiple skill sets and we can dance from science into art and we can use both sides of our hemispheres and we can realize how much we have to really offer and uh, grow into. And this is what's happening now. This is where we're headed into a really beautiful place. So we can rejoice in that despite the fear, despite what it looks like on the outside. This is how disease transforms. The mess in the chaos is necessary in order to see what you have before you so you can clean it up and just make decisions to change your reality. If you don't see it, how do you know it's there to even be changed or if you will ignore it, right? then how can you make the differences? You can't. So the mess is before us, accept our mess, and now know that that's part of empowerment to be able to see and to be able to transform it. Hi, this is Amanda Vollmer, and I was on the other side of the news, and I really enjoyed my time discussing deeper topics and really getting to the heart of truth and the things that matter in this world and what we are doing and why we're here and and what we're heading towards. I really recommend listening in and and learning, uh, expanding your awareness and your knowledge. It's important and these are the times to do it and we're being asked to pay attention and to challenge ourselves and uh, think beyond beyond the box. And welcome back to the other side of the news. Our guest tonight is Dr. Mark Mirabello. The show is called The Art of Brinkmanship. Co-hosting are Timothy Saunders, Annette Driscoll, and myself, Kinthea. And I understand we have a caller. Can we take that caller and then we'll come back to you, Tim, with more questions? 
Hello, how are you guys? Take that as a yes. <laughs> Hello? Keith, you want to bring on the caller? Hello? Okay. Uh, Zachary, go ahead. Hello? Hello? Welcome, yes, Zachary. Oh, uh, hello. Uh, I wanted to bring us? up a point. Yes, can you can you hear me? Uh, perhaps the FBI took him down. No, I heard you say the FBI took it down. <laughs> I'm just joking. Oh you. no, that's Mark saying that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Zachary, can you hear hear the uh, group? Yes, can you hear me? Okay, I'm missing Zachary. Uh, Timothy, why don't you continue? Okay. Uh, maybe Zachary can redial and uh, join us in a few moments. But, uh, Mark, you were just telling us about the, um, yeah, the rather strange way of life. Um, I'm just completely utterly blanking right now. Maybe one thing over the break that popped into my head that I should mention, yes. how, how the world works. And this is never discussed this way in history books. In the 19th century, there were roughly, we estimate, 60 million bison on the Great Plains in the United States. And each animal produced up to 800 pounds of usable meat. And after the Civil War, virtually the entire bison herd was exterminated. Now, the interesting part was the bison herd was exterminated and replaced with cattle. Now, why? Well, the official story is they were trying to destroy the Plains Indians, which, of course, is true. By killing the bison, they destroyed the Plains Indian way of life. But also, they replaced free meat. It was absolutely free bison meat with beef that people purchased. And I have a feeling, again, a lot of history is everything. They try to monitorize it. Mm -hmm. Another example of exploitation. Yes. Uh, and, and we're living in a society now where a bottle of water, they, they created these panics over tap water. When I was a child, we always would just drink water from the tap. And now everybody uses bottled water. Um, bottled water actually costs more than per gallon than petroleum does, which clearly indicates that bottled water is overpriced. But they've conditioned us to buy it. In fact, my dad's generation uh, probably would have thought, what, paying for water? So it's we're living in a curious uh, place. Oh, another point I should, as we were on the break, it popped in my head I wanted to discuss was um, when we talked about, or I talked about the overworld and the underworld, the mafia actually claims that they're the only ones fighting the occult power that runs the world, that there's a ruling class that dominates the planet but they're the free people fighting the system. And what's curious about that, I'm not trying to you know, excuse the mafia, but what's curious about that, if criminals, if you will, are running the world, uh, actually running the world, the people that fight them would be called criminals by the ruling class. And uh, another point that jumped in my head over the break that I wanted to kind of wedge in, there's a really curious theory that um, all of the changes that occurred in 20th century Russia were not as they appear, that they're all were run behind the scenes by the Russian secret police. 
The Russian secret police decided during World War I that the Tsar was becoming a liability. So he was overthrown and replaced with this worker socialist state. Mm-hmm. And then by the 1980s, it was becoming clear to the now KGB that the system was again becoming a liability. So they overthrew the system and started what appeared to be now going to a capitalist free market state. But that the same secret police forces are always there behind the scenes. Well, and it's to go not- back, were you mentioning Karl Marx? You mentioned just uh, just now in terms of the secret in terms of Russia? Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, Karl Marx was not only, it wasn't a simple replacement, but I mean, there were people with fingers and lots of pies at that time. I believe uh, there was an incident where he, it was very clear he was alive and well living in, in the United States, and he was actually shipped out. Um, I think even a British naval vessel stopped him um, at one point, and the British were told to let him pass because he has a mission to do. So you say replaced, replace is a very convenient word. Uh, but I think there was a lot more going on than, than just a, a replacement. Well, remember, by the way, every time there's a revolution, a real revolution, there's a redistribution of wealth, not to the people, but to basically a new ruling elite. And that actually happened when the Soviet Union broke up. We, we When we lived through this, most of the people were missing the point, this this incredibly powerful superpower with nuclear weapons and a really efficient secret police security system just seemed to fragment. And we acted as if this was somehow normal. Uh, The United States, when it attempted to fragment, had a brutal civil war. Yet everything was, they allowed it to happen. And there clearly was something going on behind the scenes. But what happened was they uh, now auctioned off the state resources this was during, under Yeltsin. They were pretending to privatize the state. And oddly enough, um, Trotsky had predicted that when the wealth was seized by the party, it would later be basically uh, well, it was nationalized to be taken by the party, and then they would enjoy it. And what happened was when the USSR broke up and Yeltsin was in, they gave ordinary citizens basically little amounts of money. And then they put up the national companies for auction, but the economy was such in dire straits. I actually was in Russia in 1994, Mm. Novgorod State University, and uh, as a visiting professor. And the people, ordinary people, were selling their um, their the the amount of money they had been given were uh, I should say shares of the corporations. They were selling them for we would say pennies on a dollar just to pay their bills and get food. And then the only people that really had money to buy the resources were people in organized crime and in the party, the party leaders. They had access to resources when they were in the party leadership roles and the organized crime had money. I was actually stunned when I was there in 1994, the Russian mob was everywhere you'd see these well-dressed men carrying pistols under their uh, suit coats. Mm -hmm. In fact, fact, oddly enough, I mistakenly went into a mafia-controlled restaurant in East Novigrad, and they shook me down for nearly $2,000. Wow. That must be one hell of a a order you made. (laughs) Well, I'm taking these Russian guests and ordering dinner 
And I didn't realize it was a mob. I was younger and dumber back then. It was a mob-controlled restaurant. And when the bill came, again, a couple thousand dollars. And I'm looking at the uh, waiter and the manager trying to explain to him there was a mistake. And Russians are always very calm people. And one mm-hmm. of the Russian guests with me looked at me in a very earnest way, no emotion. He said, Professor, if you do not pay this bill, you are an American. All they will do is break your legs. But we are Russians. They will kill us. <laughs> and he wow. said this in this matter-of-fact way, so I paid the bill. And, of mm-hmm. course, it gives me a good story to tell, uh, even though it cost me a lot of money to learn a lesson. Um, but, again, I, I should also mention before the uh, program runs out, because this often confuses people, one of my specialty areas is basically uh, history of ideas and ideal in myths and legends. And I'm fascinated what people believe. And I always say, it doesn't matter if the belief is true or false. It's going to change. It's going to control their destiny and how they live and so forth. I always give the example. There was a Chinese man in the 19th century who claimed he was the younger brother of Jesus. And we would dismiss that in the West, but a lot of people joined his movement and millions of people died as a result because a war broke out. So even though the belief wasn't true, it uh, altered history. And I constantly talk about myths. We have them in every field. Um, It's something we believe that helps us orient ourselves in the universe. So um, it confuses students sometimes. I have to make it clear. I'm not necessarily saying, for example, that all of this is is true. People believe it's true, and that's going to alter history in its direction. Well, we are we are formed by our perception of reality. Mark, I realized that in the background, uh, Zachary has called back in. Keith, oh, would you good. like to bring Zachary on? Maybe he has a, an interesting question for us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Can you guys hear me this time? Yeah. Hi, yes. Zachary, welcome. Uh, yes. Uh, so I had a few comments. Uh, the, the first, and, and there's like three of them, so I'll try to rush through them uh, to not take up so much time. The first one was uh, when I believe the professor was talking about uh, Sparta and the Cryptea. Uh, I think it's very unfair to, to you know, you know, try to attribute modern-day practices to Sparta or any you know European nation that was a war nation that had to constantly fight off the the, the, the Persians and the Ottomans and had to make a warrior class. So I think that's very unfair to contribute that to modern-day eugenics because we live in a totally different society. Um, my, my second point would be when talking about, you know, the Bolshevik revolution in Russia. Uh, you know, I, I, I do think it's convenient that, you know, we're, we're calling this a Russian revolution, a replacement of the ruling class and the czars, when, you know, 80% of the Bolshevik party were not even, you know, ethnic Russians. They were, you know, Jews from the Urals. Uh, you know, Marx, Trotsky, Lenin, these were these are not, you know, ethnic Russians, these were Jews. And it was a very Jewish uh, you know, power play. Uh that that's why they even instilled pogroms in Ukraine to kill the Goyim. So I I think these are big things you're leaving out. Is there a third one? Oh uh, yeah, the third one would be you were talking about you were talking about the, the, the so called brother of Jesus. I believe his name is like uh uh, Yao, Yao Yingping or something like that, uh, the, the Chinese guy who instilled that, you know, 
rule of thought. Uh, I think it's interesting to say that you know what you believe, you know, drives a nation or, or drives a people, uh, because I believe that too, uh, and I believe you know the things that we are believing, you know, like you know this whole egalitarian, you know, everyone is equal, everyone's the same kind of mentality is driving America to the, the point of, you know, not e- even existing. Well, Zachary, well, thanks very much for your points. That, that's over my head on all three counts. Mark, do you have any, any <laughs> well, <laughs> rebuttal uh, or comment? Uh, several, several points. Um, first, I should mention, and again, I think Americans are often um, misunderstand some of these issues. I'm not saying he did, but I'm trying to say is, um, in a real revolution, and in fact, France had one, Russia had one, China had one. The way you define a revolution is the people that used to control the system are now, when the revolution is over, are dead, in prison, or in exile. And that's why European historians do not call the American Revolution a revolution. Because so do you think? Do you think? Do you think? Do you think? Do you think a revolution needs to be internalized and created organically? Well, I mean, let me just finish this point about the, the American Revolution is the same ruling class, the Jeffersons, Washingtons, and so forth. They're in control before 1776, and they're in control when it's all over. That's why European historians call the American Revolution a barons' revolt, the upper class detached a distant monarch. Now, in the case of Russia, and you mentioned Jewish people, uh, typically when a revolution occurred and the ruling class is destroyed – there will be certain people with energy and initiative who will take advantage of the situation. And um, the Jews had been persecuted under the czar, so they saw an oppor- ferociously so. So they saw an opportunity uh, to move into the elite class. Now, oddly enough, on the eve of the revolution, a considerable – this is widely unknown – considerable number of the elite in Russia were actually ethnic Germans. Even though they were only 1.5% of the Soviet, well, then Russian Empire population, they dominated, for example, medical profession, scientific profession, military profession, and they were liquidated. And then there were okay. these vacant well, – Well, I mean there's, there's a lot of points you're making. I would like to ask you, is, is there a reason that you know, ethnic Germans were you know, uh, you know, higher achieving or was it well, – were they higher achieving because they were doing better in society or because they were given those positions to, you know, like nepotism? Only enough – well, first of all, this, the achievement always is a combination of two things. Once a group gets into power, I don't care who they are, uh, they're going to basically support their fellow people. Um, we see this even today. If, um, if someone gets a – well, I'm in a university – and I see, well, not to get too far afield, but some years ago I was on a search committee. I was the external person, and we were, I was viewing psychology. I'm a history professor. I was the outsider, and I'm asking to see the CVs of psychology candidates. And I'm looking through 95 of these CVs, and I happen to notice not a single one was a male. I I went to the chair of the search committee and said, is this a coincidence that every person who um, is has applied is a female? And she replied, no, we need to hire another woman. So she had removed all the male candidates. So do you think, do you think, do you think it's a bad thing? 
Well, frankly, do you think it's this, this actually this actually leads us back to what social secret societies do. Secret societies are mutual aid societies, and if a Freemason gets a job somewhere, he's going to try to hire another Freemason. If a Freemason, do you think that's bad? Well, let me, let me finish this. If he serves on a jury, he's going to, if he sees another Freemason making gestures indicate he's a third degree Mason, he'll tend to vote not guilty. And this is how the world works. Um, uh, do you think Vonnegut, that's bad? Well, let me say it, answer that. Kurt Vonnegut, the novelist, said he never wrote a novel with an evil character in it. This idea, and, I, and sadly the West does it all the time, and America in particular, we think the whole world, we can divide it into Draculas and Snow White. And we think there's good and bad. What we have to understand is how the real world works. If you're applying for a, a position and uh, someone is, you're not a Mason and someone, another candidate is, you're going to lose. So the way to deal with this is join a secret society. Get into the okay, but what I'm trying to ask you is, do you think it's bad that it operates like that? Like, yeah, like yes or no? Do you, do you think it's bad that it operates like exactly. that? Exactly. May I may I just remind you that we have a very short time to the end of the show? Uh, okay, I'll, I'll make my I'll make my point I'll make my point real quick, and you guys can discuss it. What I was what I was going to say was it sounds to me like you know you're 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 not really even saying if it's bad or good. You're just talking about you know like absolutes that happen within society. Uh, so if you're so keen on talking about that and talking about things like the Masons, I think it's much more important to talk about Jewish nepotism and you know and you want to talk about the Masons. Like that that's very, you know, minute when it comes to, you know, to Jewish power in the West. You know, look, look at how many Congress people are dual citizens of Israel. Look at how many Jews are in Hollywood or in banking or in Ivy League schools. You, you talk about ninety five percent of, you know, those students being female Jews are two two percent of American population, but yet they're given twenty five percent of Ivy League admissions. So let's talk about that nepotism. Let's talk about that, you know, secret society. I think we're going to leave that for another show, Zachary. Let's, let's make another title up and another show on uh, Jewish nepotism. Guys, let's move forward because I think we should say thank you to Zachary because we just don't have the time to explore that subject matter at the moment. Mark, thank you very much for your comments in that direction let's shift the mood a little bit because as i say we're, we're coming to the end of the show and i think what we should do is to gather our thoughts and aim at something a little bit more positive because we have been discussing a lot of uh should we say some of the good bad and ugly points on our planet mainly the, the bad and the ugly uh let's focus on solutions what we can actually aim towards to to yeah move forward in, in a positive way because i mean mark let me just go back to one of the things you were saying is earlier was the you're saying basically it, it's not a good idea to to confront these secret societies it's not a good idea to confront the mafia and so otherwise you know damage can be done and so on but if you if you go along in that direction, then surely that means that we should all just become subservient to that organization. I don't agree with that. There's not one cell in my body which will agree with that philosophy. Do you have any anything up up your sleeve that can 
guide people to think in a slightly different way, or is that your position? Well, I really do think resistance is futile. For example, if someone lives in Palermo, in Sicily, um, they can actually, for example, if their daughter is impregnated by a man who won't marry her, they can go to the mafia and they'll, they'll help the man out and they'll help the daughter out. If his car is stolen, they will help out the man. They'll have a, they'll have a, uh, um, a, you have to make a payment, but that's how it works. And um, you can't really fight the Bilderbergers. You really can't fight the Club of Rome, the Trilateral Commission. Uh, they're too powerful. And I think the only solution, and I, again, always mention this, I think I mentioned on the previous program, was the solution of Hakim Bey. He said the temporary autonomous zone is uh, you create, you try to drop off the radar, create a little circle of freedom, and when you're discovered, you move on. The caller, who seemed to have these anti-Semitic traits, was talking about Jewish people. The way they've survived for 3,000 years is moving. When things get bad, they move on. Uh, oddly enough, USSR had 3 million Jewish people. Now it's got, I think, 70,000. They left. When things went south in the 90s, they departed. They left. They were active in the anti-apartheid movement in South Africa, and then they left. That's clever. In other words, don't attack people that survive. Emulate them. Do what they do. And so that would be my advice. Again, people are free to reject it. But these powerful forces are just too powerful to resist. And um, uh, I think especially with um, just thinking that mass protests will change things or um, uh, causing um, or shall I say disobeying the law that is created. And I should mention that every system ever created from medieval Europe, Samurai Japan, United States, Great Britain, the function of the system is to keep the people with power in power. The American Constitution is not designed to make people free and wonderful people. It's a power elite, keeps in power. Uh, Notice, for example, that in America, uh, if you um, use a gun in a crime, the penalties are enormous. You can go 30, 50, or life sentence for using a gun in a crime. But if you steal money uh, through embezzlement, white-collar crime, you'll do minimum security prison for five years. That's because congressmen, if they're going to commit a crime, will commit a white-collar crime. They won't rob a liquor store. Now, again, everyone always says, well, uh, uh, what about Bernie Madoff? And as I always reply, he stole from the rich. He stole from the rich and powerful. If he had stolen from ordinary people, their savings accounts, he would have done five years, been security prison, and been out. Um, it's just simply the system is too powerful. Mark, ultimately, this is, though, this is Annetta. I'm going to I'm going to respectfully, totally, and utterly disagree with you. First right. of all, constitutionally, our constitution isn't written to uh, to protect anything that isn't already God-given. In other words, our Bill of Rights, those are the, we already have those. That's to keep the government in line. If you actually study no, no, the law... There's no such thing as a God-given right. This is an I have a God-given right to breathe and for my heart to beat. Excuse me, but I do have that God-given right. Actually, I do. no. It's an 18th century notion that we have natural rights. I know we like to think it, but so many regimes have taken them away so easily 
it's not really the way of the world. Mm. We like to think well, it's true. So, so when, so a man, a man and whatever regime or law that he makes up when I come out of the birth canal and I take my first breath, that regime has more power over me than, uh, than a person born, a human person born with a, with a soul. I can't, I can't agree with that. I also can't agree that we can't do anything with these people. I'm a descendant of Patrick Henry. I can assure you, I believe that we can do things that we can actually make a difference. One thing is, is you can say resistance is futile, but I'm telling you what, I've gained a lot of, of leverage and a lot of traction, and, I, and I've done it simply by resistance and not compliance. Compliance is to, to walk myself right into the slaughterhouse. Why would I, why would I, you know, if I wanted to do that, I would just go get a vaccine. Well, well, again, you mentioned Patrick Henry. Ironically, he was opposed to the Constitution. He was fiercely opposed to the American Constitution because he said, among other things, and this is what we've seen recently, it's flawed because the people that will enforce the laws at the federal level, federal level, will be other federal officials. And he didn't, for example, he didn't, want, he didn't want a federalist, but 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 the Constitution was. The power was given from the people to the states, a percentage of that, and then that percentage from the states went to the federal. He didn't like federal, and I don't the, either. The ruling so. elite just basically developed it. The, the Articles of Confederation were actually a much better system. That's true. But the, but the ruling elite decided they have to have a more centralized power to make some money. And by the way, oddly enough, the Constitution is now followed. Uh, was really altered by the Civil War. Um, states really did, the, the Constitution says very clearly, 10th Amendment, any power not specifically given to the federal government or denied to the states belongs to the states. States should be deciding abortion rights, marriage well, rights. Right. They're republics on their own. Yeah, yeah. But we I'm, don't. I'm, go ahead. Dear ones, well, we are at, <laughs> well, this has been a fast-moving show, and we've reached the, the runway is, Timothy would say. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, I've had fun, so thank you. And I, I, I totally uh, agree with people's right to disagree, so I have no problem with that. I wonder, welcome your disagreement. You've been an amazing, fascinating guest, and I definitely want to bring you back because I was blown away by the, um, the plethora of detail that I had never even imagined before. So thank you so much. Yes, thank, well, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been an honor. <laughs> And you're an interesting group of people. (laughs) And frankly, raised excellent points.